Let us pray. Merciful God, we believe that your spirit is right here among us this morning. And so we ask that spirit to move upon us, to move through the words as they are read from your scripture and to make those words come alive for us. Those words will make their way into our hearts and into our minds, into our very being and transform us. We ask that you breathe on us the holy breath of God that can make us and shape us into a more Christ-like people. And as we read this word, Lord, we pray that you bless the reading and the hearing of it. Bless the time that we have together in this sanctuary. Bless the time that we have in the presence of your spirit. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Please stand if you are able for the reading of the word. Our scripture today comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. On the third day, there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus also was invited to the wedding with his disciples. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. And Jesus said to her, Woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Now there were six stone water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding twenty or thirty gallons. Jesus said to the servants, Fill the jars with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, Now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it. When the master of the feast tasted the water, now become wine, and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, Everyone serves the good wine first, and when people have drunk freely, then the poor wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. This, the first of his signs, Jesus did at Cana in Galilee, and manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. We're on our second week now into this series uh, that, that we started the new year off with about a new experience with Jesus. And what we're doing is we're going through the Gospel of John and we're just looking at, at how we can experience Jesus on, on a deeper level. Um, we, we are people of faith who surrender our hearts, our lives to, to Christ, and we believe that he is with us. Throughout the Advent season, we make the claim that God is with us. And so now beyond that, beyond Advent and beyond Christmas, we want to really examine what that means, that God is with us through the person of Jesus Christ. What does that mean to have Jesus with us? And so it's not just about knowing Jesus is with us or feeling comforted by that, but inviting uh, his, his presence to transform us by allowing him to, to give us new experiences with him along our journey. And so we're going through John, and, and we're hoping that in this study that will, uh, that will be what happens. Now, in the Gospel of John, uh, Jesus does signs. In every other gospel, they're called miracles. 
But in John, there are signs. And if you remember last week, we talked about how John began his gospel. He said, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. The word was with God and it was God. And it became flesh and dwelt among us. And we know these things and now we testify to you. And so when John says that Jesus did signs, he's saying this was from God. This was a sign. This was an indication that God in the flesh dwelt among us. That Jesus came here for us. That he is with us. And so Jesus does signs in John. Now, of all the miracles that Jesus did, all the signs and wonders that he did in all of the Gospels, healing people, feeding people, giving sight to the blind, I find it really unusual that the very first sign he did was turning water into wine. Why would that be the first sign from God? Why would that be the first wonder, the first miracle, turning water into wine? Well, we're going to look at that a little bit today. Now, when Jesus' mother comes to him and says, uh, we're out of water, or we're out of wine, what are we going to do? You need to do something. Jesus' response to her is, woman, what does this have to do with me? And to our ears, that sounds really disrespectful. In our culture and in our language, we can just hear somebody saying, Woman, what does that have to do with me? But that's not how Jesus said it. In fact, when he referred to his mother as woman, that was the proper way to address your mother in public. To call her mother would be too intimate. It would be too familiar of a word to use in public. And so people did not call their, their parents by their, their familiar names. Uh, that was that was a more intimate thing in public. You referred to them as man or woman and you were respecting their their position, their adulthood. So when Jesus says, woman, what does this have to do with me? He says, my time and my hour has not yet come. But what's interesting is Mary turns around and she tells the servants, do whatever he tells you. So Mary knows what's up. Mary knows he's about to do something. But he says this to her. And then he turns around and he does this, this wonder, this sign. The reason why he says this to her is because he's letting her know, my authority comes from heaven. And so I am not going to do this because my mother is asking me to do it. If I do this, it's going to be because it was God's time to reveal my authority, which comes from heaven. And Mary knows what that means. And so she goes to the servants and says, do whatever he tells you. And then what does he do? He says, take the jars, fill them up with water, and he turns the water into wine. Now, Jesus, I, I want to make something real clear. Jesus was not the, uh, the, lone, the, the dour loner in the corner at the party. He was not the guy sitting over there, refusing to socialize, refusing to hang out. A lot of times we see these pictures of Jesus, these paintings, and, and he looks so solemn. He just always kind of has his head tilted, and he just looks like, like he knows what's going to happen to him three years later, and he's just upset about it. And, it, and that's, not, that's not who Jesus was. Jesus was not a dour individual. If Jesus went to... Parties and festivals and celebrations and sat there in the corner as the person who wouldn't engage with the other people, there would be something in Scripture about that. But there isn't. Instead, we always have this image of Jesus right there with everybody in the good times and in the bad times. 
And so Jesus was not this, this dour loner. And, and, and a wedding back then, I want to tell you, the, the, the festival was beyond belief. It's beyond what we do now. I mean, sometimes they would party for days and days and days at a wedding. And Jesus was here with them, among them, celebrating. I can just see him out there dancing, laughing, joking. That, that was Jesus. And, uh, and, and, and sometimes we don't think of him that way. But Jesus is with us in the sorrowful times. He's also with us in those joyful times. There's a movie uh, with, with Will Ferrell called Talladega Nights, The Ballad of Ricky Bobby. And Will Ferrell plays this, this race car driver. And they're sitting around the table, and Will Ferrell, uh, or Ricky Bobby, he's praying, and he keeps saying, Dear Baby Jesus. And his family kind of tells him, you know, Jesus grew up. He didn't stay a baby. And so they start talking about how they like to think of Jesus, how they like to see Jesus. And Ricky Bobby's best friend, Cal Naughton Jr., says, I like to picture Jesus with a tuxedo T-shirt. Because it says, I'm formal, but I'm here to party. <laughs> now, that, that may sound ridiculous and, and maybe even blasphemous to, to some of us, but it shouldn't. Because if you really look at the life of Jesus and the parables that he told, he was always talking about a party. When he told the story of the woman who lost her coin, when she found it, what did she do? She called her friends and she had a party. When the prodigal son returned back home, his father saw him from a distance. And what did he do? He threw a party. And when Jesus told about what the kingdom of heaven is going to be like, he said it's going to be like the, the bridegroom who invites all these people to a wedding feast, to a party. And the ones who don't show up, well, he'll just go out and invite other people to this party. When the Pharisees asked Jesus, why don't your disciples fast? He said, you don't fast when the bridegroom is here. In other words, you celebrate. And Jesus was saying, the bridegroom is here. It's among you. There is reason to celebrate. Now, wine in the Bible represents a few things, especially when you see it in the Old Testament. It represents blessing. It represents providence. Uh, and it represents abundance. Uh, and, and Genesis, Melchizedek, which is the, the pre-incarnate Christ, comes to Abraham and he gives him wine which is a sign of the blessing that Abraham will receive from God. Throughout the book of Deuteronomy, God is constantly telling the people in Israel that, that I have blessed you, I have blessed you, and he keeps pointing to, he keeps using the phrase, your vats are full of wine. And that is his reminder that his, his blessing has been upon Israel. The book of Proverbs says that if you honor God with your first fruits, your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. Now, I do want to offer a, a, a word here about wine. I'm not, um, everybody has different convictions about it. And like anything that is a blessing, uh, it can absolutely be abused and overused. There are many people who we say are allergic to the drink. That's how they phrase it in Alcoholics Anonymous. And for, and for certain people, they just have the conviction that they should abstain from it. And I know many of you have that same conviction, and I applaud you for that. That is a, a conviction between you and God. But nevertheless, in Scripture, wine is a symbol for God's blessing. 
So when we look at this miracle that Jesus did, rather than getting hung up on the whole debate about whether or not people should, should consume alcohol, I want us to look at the significance of what is happening here. Roger reminded me earlier this week, Tony Campolo wrote a, Campolo wrote a, a book called The Kingdom of God is a Party. And Jesus said, the kingdom is among you. It's within you. It's right here. It's in your midst. And so when we say that God is with us, when we say that God became flesh and dwelt among us and his spirit now rests with us, we are saying that the kingdom of God is here. And we think the kingdom of God is a party. Okay, well, that means heaven's a party. And when we leave, when we leave this world, we'll be up there in that eternal party. But the kingdom of God is right here. Because Jesus Christ is right here. And as I said last week, church is what happens when Christ and me connects with Christ and you. And Jesus Christ is here among us. And that is something that certainly should be celebrated. So when Jesus said, bring me these vats, I want to explain what was happening here. The vats for water were meant for Jewish purification. This was law. This was Old Testament law. You took the water... And you cleansed yourself according to the Jewish law so that you could properly then go to the celebration. You couldn't go celebrate. You couldn't be part of the feast, part of the party, unless you went through this ritual. What Jesus is saying here is that is the old way. The old rituals, the old laws, the things that you have had to do in order to celebrate, in order to become a part of the party, in order to become part of God's kingdom. That's the old thing. And I'm doing a new thing. I'm here, I'm wine, I am the source of abundance and blessing. And you no longer have to do all of these things, all of these rituals to try to make yourself holy and worthy. Because I'm here among you, and I can do that for you. And so that's why this was the first sign that Jesus gave us. Jesus wants to celebrate with us. And we say God is with us and it's a source of comfort when we go through sorrow or pain. But God is also with us in those good times. And he wants to celebrate with us. Our kids, they they like to have little celebrations or parties or whatever at our house pretty much every week. Now, I don't mean a party where they're inviting friends over, but, but they'll just say, hey, let's have a Star Wars party tonight. And what that means is we'll listen to, you know, the Star Wars soundtrack while we order a pizza and then we'll watch a Star Wars movie afterwards. Or recently, Hannah Claire wanted to have a fancy party where she told us all that we needed to dress fancy for dinner. This past week, uh, they, they got good results on their report cards. So they wanted to celebrate that. And so we ordered a pizza and, and we had, we were playing music and we were dancing and, and, and I was just thinking, this is a, a great time of celebration for the family and for the kids. And, and you, could, you could definitely feel the joy and the love in the room. But Jesus Christ was present in there with us. Because he's always present with us. And so as we dance and as we sing and as we laugh, he is dancing and singing and laughing with us at the same time. When Jesus Christ says, I'm with you, it changes everything. We are so deeply intertwined with his spirit, with his presence, that we can't escape it. 
We become his temples. And in every situation, he is with us. And he makes the good times better, and he makes the bad times good, and we live in joyful celebration. Christians should be the most optimistic people in the world. And this is something that I have to work on with myself, because sometimes I I, I tend to look at the negative side of things. But we shouldn't be. We, we should be the most op- we should be radically optimistic because we have the presence of Jesus Christ in our lives. We have every reason to celebrate, even in the hard times, even in the difficult times. This past week, we lost a, a very good friend in this church. And when we were coming home from the hospital on Wednesday night, I told Claire, well, I'm going to have to change my sermon this week. And she said, why? What's your sermon? I said, well, the title is Party Time. And I don't feel like that's really appropriate right now, not the way I'm feeling and not the way the congregation will be feeling probably the day after a funeral. And I sat with it and I prayed with it. And then Brick said something to me earlier this week. He started talking about all the times that he and Bobby had together. And how those times, he wouldn't trade them for anything. Because whether they were just cutting up or building something together or joking or throwing insults at each other, whatever it was, it was Christian fellowship. Because it was two believers in Jesus Christ coming together and fellowshipping and sharing love and laughter and joy. And Christ was present in all of those moments. And so when we came together yesterday here for the funeral... I saw people laughing. I saw people smiling. I saw people hugging, loving each other. I saw the women of the church come together and and put together this, this wonderful covered dish reception out of love. And it brought joy to the hearts that were grieving. That's Christ. That is Jesus Christ taking sorrow, taking grief, and turning it into joy. Turning it into something better. And we have a reason to be eternally optimistic because of that. I look across the congregation and I see pews where loved ones of all of us no longer sit. And when I, when I stand up here and I see where people sat, there's, there's sadness. It stings. But there's also joy because I know where they are instead. That's that eternal optimism that we are given, that joy that replaces even the most, the deepest of sorrows. And that's what Jesus Christ coming to earth means. That is why we celebrate. We can smile. We can laugh. We can find love and joy even in the midst of pain. Because Jesus Christ has come. And he's turned the water into wine. The old thing has passed away. We don't have to wring our hands and try to cleanse ourselves and hope that all the things we do in vain can somehow make us worthy or holy or pure. No. Jesus came and fulfilled the law and his very presence among us, within us, upon us. That's what makes us clean. That's what sanctifies There's no need to be dour or down. We have joy and we have an abundance of it. Jesus didn't make just a little bit of wine. 
It said six jars that held 20 or 30 gallons. Now, I said wine represents abundance. This was an abundance of abundance of blessing, of joy. We have an abundance of an abundance of joy because of Jesus Christ. He brings an abundance of blessing. May you experience that abundance of joy and blessing in your life. Let us pray. Lord, your mercies are new every morning. Give us the eyes to see them. Give us the heart to perceive and receive them. And let those mercies, let those blessings transform us from the inside out. Forgive us for all the times that we've been negative, that we've, we've looked on our sorrow or our anxiety, and we've let that cripple us and define who we are. Lord, we know that as children of the light, children of God, followers of Jesus Christ, we should be defined by the joy, the abundance, the blessing that you pour upon us. Lord, it is cause to celebrate. You are with us in the sorrowful times and you make the bad times good. You are also with us in the good times and you make them even better. Lord, we ask that you continue to bless us that you continue to watch over us and to love us, and that we continue to bless you with the way we live and the way we treat each other. We pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen. Our hymn of invitation this morning is hymn number 98, To God Be the Glory. If you've made a decision of any type, I invite you, I encourage you to come forward and share that with us. But please stand if you're able. Join us in singing hymn number 98.